1: and Mark McEvely bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. This week, I'm subbing in for Mark, who is out of town on a business trip, and we, of course, have Matt Jessopier sitting next to me. So good. I'm ready. You always are, and I love it. <laughs> I love it. So as, as listeners know, we always start with a little bit of pricing, so I'll jump into it. These numbers are as of the market close on 3-8 last night. And this data is from Y charts. So the S&P 500 month-to-date is up 0.6%, year-to-date is up 4.0%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 0.4% month-to-date and down 1.1% year-to-date. The Nasdaq Composite is up 1.1% month-to-date and up 10.6% year-to-date. The iShares Russell 2000 ETF is down 0.8% month-to-date and up 7% year-to-date. The Vanguard FTSE All World XUS ETF is up 1.1% month-to-date and up 5.0% year-to-date. Checking in on yields, the 3-month Treasury rate is currently sitting at 5.06. The 2-year Treasury rate is at 5.05. and The 10-year Treasury rate is at 3.980. some reaction in the treasury market this week, uh, uh, this week, I should
2: say, which we're gonna jump right into with with the headlines, so. Yeah, and and listeners and viewers, don't forget what uh, Nick just said about month and year-to-date returns on equities, because after he goes over big big headlines and current events, it'll be relevant here in a minute. Indeed, yep, indeed. So the first thing, we have two kind of, Big picture topics on the on the big
1: headlines and current events. There's a lot of eyes are going to remain on the CPI CPI data that's due to be released on 314, and then the Fed announcement obviously coming up on on 322. So there's there's still eyes ahead, and so I, I expect a little bit
2: of chop in, in the near term. But what are, what are your thoughts? Do you have anything to add there for listeners? No, I agree. I think that in the short term, you know, I would define as between now and the end of March, I think you're going to have a lot of sideways action in the markets. But, you know, I think what's going to happen is April's going to come along and it's going to be earning season for the first quarter. And just as I it would proceed to be a positive catalyst in January, in my opinion, again, I'll say it one more time, my opinion, I think it's going to be a positive catalyst for the markets in April brings a focus back to fundamentals. You haven't had a deterioration in corporate earnings in general. And all of a sudden it's like, hmm, that stock's really not that expensive compared mm-hmm. to where it has been. Yeah. When you look at it on the historical side. Of things, Absolutely. Yeah. It'll be interesting. The,
1: uh, the big piece of news this week that really shook the markets up a little bit. And we, and we saw some, some selling on, on Tuesday on the seventh was fed chair Powell's testimony in front of Congress. And mm-hmm. this is a normal thing that the, the, Regularly scheduled. Fed, regularly scheduled. The yep. chairman of the Fed goes and talks to Congress for two days and Congress grills them. And and the market listens to see if they can suss out any information and where the where the Fed is, if the Fed's stance and some of their language has changed from the last time they've they've heard. Yep. So that's the main thing the market's listening for. And the takeaway is pa- Powell sounded a lot more hawkish than market participants expected. Um, I'm going to read two, two lines here. Sure. Uh, the ultimate level of interest rates is likely going to be higher than previously anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, the, next, the next line is, would be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes if data suggested that, suggested a faster pace of tightening is warranted. So those are the exact things the market doesn't want to hear, right? Um, so the reaction, as I mentioned briefly in, in the intro, you had, a, you had short-term treasury rates moving higher, stocks declined, that's a pretty classic response to this kind of commentary. Uh, a notable jump in expectations for a 50 basis point rate hike at the March FOMC meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the CME Fed watch tool, the probability of a 50 basis point rate hike in the March meeting increased to 70.5% from 31.4% on, on Monday. So that 40% jump just on the, on the backs of those comments from the Fed on, on the 7th. Uh, so the probability, the market now is pricing that 50 basis rate, uh, basis point rate hike in, in March. They see that as a 73% possibility. Okay. Um, the other big takeaway is expectations for the terminal rate, which we've talked a little bit about. Meaning the peak rate of the highest it gets? Exactly. The terminal rate being the, the, the peak, just like you said, of, of the federal funds rate the expectations for the terminal rate is now expected to be in the range of 5.5 to 5.75 in June versus 5.25 to 5.5 percent previously. So, an extra 25 basis points um, increase in that terminal rate expectation. So, basically, everything the market doesn't want to hear is what it heard. So, you had a little bit of a pullback. You had a chop in the treasury market. Short-term moves higher. You know, the curve stays inverted, and, and, you know, it doesn't look beautiful in the context of history sure um, so that, that was the reaction um, any thoughts
2: yeah I mean my first comment uh, maybe for viewers and listeners is not going to be what they're expecting but I was proud of the way the market responded because if we were to go back to the fall and you would have gotten this type of news that the market was not anticipating that would have been an easy five to seven percent sell-off Over a couple of days. Easy. For sure. Yeah. Easy. That's a great point. I didn't really think about that. And so the way the market reacted, and there's a couple people that, market watchers and market strategists that, you know, the reaction was, was, was wonderful. And what it's kind of starting to say to me is, okay, the market is starting to price in that rates are going to be paused here at some point and they're gonna hang there for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think the more notable thing is not where maybe the terminal rate or the peak rate, because if we're you know, um, you know debating if it's gonna be a quarter of a point higher, a half a percent higher, in my opinion that is less important then the topic of how long they keep those rates at that elevated level yeah how long is the terminal rate going to stay and i have said this on the podcast recently and i'll say it again you're going to hear me say it all year long the debate in the second half of this year will be that topic Mm -hmm. it will be how long they keep those rates at an elevated level before they begin to lower them and I'm in the camp that whether we have a technical recession or not, in my opinion for the market, is not that important because stock prices have already gotten nailed. We have not seen a precipitous decline at all in corporate earnings. And even if it retracts a little bit, in my opinion, that's baked in. And I could now start to say this with even more confidence with how the market reacted this week. Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, you saw that news. That would have been good for a follow through the next day uh, on wednesday right yeah didn't happen it was flat you know again it's just it's starting to say to me that the market is 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 priced this in more than people are anticipating and with the content that i have planned for the podcast not only today because i'm going to talk about market sentiment a little bit i got some content planned for next week that will give further perspective as to kind of where we're at. I'm talking like cash on the sidelines, Mm -hmm. average equity allocations. And what I'm getting at is, this is the bottom line for me. People tend to get too aggressive when times are good and investors tend to get too conservative when times are quote unquote bad. We gotta remember this market is forward looking. Mm-hmm. And you are, you know, looking at. I'm buying this stock for where I think it's going to be two years from now, three years from now. Set aside all the people that are day trading and they're worried about the market next yeah. week and next month. Set that to aside. And I think it could be a major mistake when you start to look at some of these um, sentiment surveys and you look at how bearish people are right now. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, a year from now, two years from now, I think it's going to end up being. Mm-hmm a mistake. Mhm.
1: That's a really good point. I, I didn't think about that. Um, you know, you obviously see the negative reaction from the response and you're you know, the initial is kind of like, you know, a modest groan of like, okay, here we go. Here we go. But that's a great that's a great point that it was a is a bit of a pullback, but it wasn't and then look, know, day said, over day and then let's go back to the numbers like you said. Year to date, we're still up 4% on the S&P. Year-to-date, we're still up 10% on the NASDAQ. The Dow is now in the, in the red, but only 1.1%. We're pretty early into the year. Um, and still look at month-to-date. And and month-to-date, we're still up positive on everything except small caps. Now, that's going to make sense. Yeah. Because when you have the rates, and, and I, I'm actually going to get into this a little bit in, in some of my research, but when you have rate expectations going up and then you know the terminal rates going to go up the small cap companies are going to be more impacted because they need more capital to grow than some of like you were mentioning these um the big companies with with cash on, well you were talking about cash on the sideline for investors but sure, there's also the same thing with big corporations yeah. so
2: they don't need they don't need capital as much to grow great point and so let's make that relational even deeper when the cost of borrowing money goes up mm-hmm. if i'm xyz small cap company right? And a lot of those small cap companies might have lines of credit that the interest rate they pay varies on Fed funds rate. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so as that goes up, all of a sudden, okay, that small cap company, if its earnings remain level, Mm -hmm. their net profit's going to go down, which is why you see those impacts. Oh, yeah. Good way of simplistically putting it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, The other two dates I want to throw out there um, is... CPI inflation I know we talked about it in the podcast recently mm-hmm. next week March 14th, 8:30 a.m. East Coast time you're going to have uh, CPI inflation data. Okay, I'm going to be talking a little bit about inflation in my second piece this morning mm-hmm. so I'm going to come back to that and then we have the all-important uh, Federal Reserve announcement on interest rates on March 22nd Nick mm-hmm. that's at 2 p.m. East Coast time and we'll see if they do a quarter or 50. I'm gonna argue with you that I'm less concerned whether it's a quarter or 50 because they'll make it up at the next meeting. If they do a quarter, I'm more concerned about this forward-looking language because it was just in the last Fed meeting, they added some language that was starting to acknowledge, or in my mind, pre-sell to the public that these interest rate hikes have a lagging effect. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see if that is more emphasized. Mm -hmm. Because my analogy uh, for people that don't do this every day is let's use the analogy of a patient. And let's say that this patient has to have a long-term medicine prescribed over time. Well, you you start pumping that patient full of that medicine, right? that it's going to take time for that medicine to take effect, right? And so at a certain point, you stop giving the patient the medicine, it's still taking that effect over time, right? And I think that for me, I'm gonna start paying attention to that type of language because I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel on these interest rate hikes. Mm -hmm. The market can freak out if it's another quarter of a percent. But really, at the end of the day, if we're at five and a quarter, we're at 5.75, does it really matter that much? Versus, yeah. You know, that's what I'm starting to think is, it's that's why the second half of the year, this debate on how long that rate is held up there. That's that's the question. It's gonna
1: be the battle oh,
2: coming up in, in, in the fall.
1: I don't think the Fed has a great understanding of what they're gonna do and how long they're gonna keep it either. You've heard multiple Fed participants say, altering things yeah. um, some are really hammering the table saying we need to keep it there look at history we need to keep it there and some are saying you know we'll see might be more traditional so
2: yeah and the, and the rem- last comment i want to make is the forecast opinions and perceptions on this topic are going to change frequently and fast yeah, example yeah. january they were thinking that the fed was going to begin to lower rates in october november yeah 4 weeks later, it's now sometime in the end of Q1. Yeah. This is going to continue to move. Yeah. And so just remember be investing for the long term. Mm-hmm. As you talked about Nick earlier, the market's going to get choppy here. Okay? Mm-hmm. Noise. Yeah, a lot lots of noise. Noise. Lots of volatility. I'm copying you and saying that. Noise. noise. I'm, I'm stealing that from the one and only Nick Whitaker. <laughs> I do like I do like that saying. Used to use
1: that saying a lot in the uh, in the stock surveillance days. Also popular, I bet you did. A uh, popular phrase. I so. bet you did. All right, let's let's jump into the uh, the tweets, articles, and research. I've got a couple quick ones for for listeners. And the first one is a tweet from Charlie Belalo on the seventh and it's a tweet about the two-year treasury yield he says the two-year u.s treasury yield hit five percent today for the first time since june 2007 a year ago this yield was at 1.55 percent two years ago it was at 0.14 percent and there's a chart that we'll throw up for listeners and just to give some perspective on how fast things have changed over the past couple years and um you expect some volatility in equities when you see this kind of move on on the treasury curve yeah but you overlay or,
2: equities in those years where it really goes up it's not going to be great years for the market right it's not <laughs> going to be great years and and so that's you
1: know pretty pretty relevant to what we're talking about and in, in the beginning here so any, any other
2: thoughts for that i, just, I really just i thought it was a good chart I wanted to throw it up there i love that you did this and here's my initial reaction to this okay Look at those prior years where the yield really went up. How long did it take for it to start falling? Okay. My concern is people are going to go out there, say in the fixed income market, and they're going to focus on the short end of the yield curve because that's where the highest yields are. Mm -hmm. And I want to say this very clearly. My concern for you is if you focus solely on the short end of the curve, when that, in this example, two-year note matures, and you gotta roll it to something else. Reinvestment risk. Boom. I would argue, you're probably not gonna get the rate that you just got. I was just just uh, at a
1: conference, and was in a fixed income meeting, and talking to some fixed income experts, and then they said the same thing. They said, be careful about some of the short-term notes, because the reinvestment
2: risk, at this type of, in this type of market, is very high. Yes, and so if you are an individual that is seeking income and you have a long-term uh, time horizon, might want to do some more homework on the on duration. I'll just leave it there. Absolutely. Is that fair? That's an excellent point. Okay. Yeah. The next piece I have is on junk-rated
1: companies borrowing again. Ooh! So related to some of the small-cap... Um, comments we were talking about and this is a tweet from aisha Tariq. she's a cfa works in collaboration with trader aid and a lot of other things I, I, crazy I like smart it. crazy smart yeah um and the, it's just a chart here it says junk rated companies are borrowing again it looks like this was was taken from uh, the wall street journal it looks stuff. like a journal it, chart it looks like it? a journal chart so
2: <laughs> <laughs> it might be a wall it's, street journal chart. <laughs> it's funny what day jetta what we should do is hide names of the sources and show various different just charts and you can show them to nick and nick will be like that's the wall street yeah. journal that's why charts yeah, that's coleman's right <laughs> that's goldman that's b of a like yeah.
1: this i bet i'd be pretty decent at it yeah i think you would <laughs> so it says junk rated companies are borrowing again and it shows a a, a picture just a a, um, a bar graph here of corporate junk bond issuance monthly and you can see um, you know, it's popped a little bit recently, which is, which is interesting. It um, is interesting because and, why? Interest rates are higher. Exactly, in the context of interest rates. So I wanted to just get your take on this, see what you think. Is this a positive?
2: Well, I'll throw this out there. Companies, generally speaking, at the end of the day, are especially high yield. Let's take a step back. Explain to listeners the general difference between investment grade in high yield, because there's different words for high yield. High yield
1: junk. Um, so junk rated companies. This is this is your high yield. It's riskier inherently. There's a higher chance of default. What does default mean? Default means that you will buy the bond and you're not getting your money back. Mm-hmm. However. When you buy that bond, there's a higher risk of default because risk reward. Right? That's right, and you they're going to compensate more, you for that. They're going to compensate you for that because the interest rates are going to be higher, so your payments are going to be higher. Very simply put, that's just a risk reward trade-off. Your risk of default is much higher if it's a junk rated bond, and that comes from the rating agencies
2: versus the corporate grid. Thank good, you. Good just, summary. Wonderful. Okay. So here's my initial reaction to this. Yeah. I'm this, curious about this. <laughs> this tells me underlying appetite for risk is getting better than people are giving it credit for. That was my takeaway, too. Yes! All right. <laughs> okay, uh, listeners and viewers, we have not compared notes on this, so we're not in collaboration on this. Especially
1: considering, like, like we're talking about, rates are going up, we're not at the terminal rate yet. Maybe that's some of the thinking is, hey, we need to grow, we're not at the terminal rate yet let's get there, like, let's get some capital now. Yeah, I mean, because these, these smaller companies, you know, a big company can, has a bunch of cash and a bunch of businesses, these smaller companies in, in the public markets, their time horizons can be a little shorter. They really need to grow, they really need to get, stay competitive, market share, and, yep. and so they're, they can feel the pressure a little bit more. So I can see that, you know, in, impacting the decision. But
2: just seeing them pull pull the trigger That's very positive. It is. And, you know, there's there's other factors at play in my opinion. I think that let's assume in my personal base case, my opinion, we have peak rates, you know, sometime later this year, Mm -hmm. things stay there and start to trend lower over time. At some point, you know, you could see rates come in. It's possible in my opinion and that you might see more risk appetite because people are starting to think, like we talked about earlier, hmm, I'm gonna start locking in. I'm gonna start Mm -hmm. buying some longer dated bonds. And you know what I'm also gonna do? I'm gonna target some of the higher end of junk or high yield Mm -hmm. because if that company improves its finances, it might get upgraded to investment grade. There could be a lot of things at play Mm -hmm. here and I'm just speculating, Um, but in my opinion, underlying appetite for risk is probably a little bit better than the market's giving it credit for, and go back to your beginning pricing, year-to-date NASDAQ, compared to some of the more conservative areas of the market. Right. Year-to-date, 10, 10.6. And then what's the Dow, which would be Dow perceived to be more conservative in comparison to the NASDAQ. Is down 1.1%. So just throw, I mean, just, yeah. those, are, those are tells. Those are things to kind of monitor. And again, just because we are, let's call it, what, nine weeks into the year, doesn't make a trend, quote-unquote, but it is something to continue to monitor. That's the compliance side of me saying that. <laughs> uh, but it just, it's interesting, and it's something that should be watched. Absolutely. My last
1: one here is on U.S. job openings. It's a tweet from Lisa Abramowitz. Uh, she's a anchor over at Bloomberg. Love, Lisa. Does great work. I quote her stuff often over the years. Yes. Uh, this is a tweet on the 7th as well. And there's a chart we'll throw up here on U.S. job openings by industry Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's a Bloomberg chart so it's not the easiest to read. Um, and the lines are as follows. Um, Yet another foreboding sign from the Fed. U.S. job openings were revised higher for December and fell less than expected in January. Mm-hmm. There are still a there are still a near record number of job openings being posted in the US hovering around 11 million despite higher rates and fears of recession. That said, the quits rate was the lowest since February 2021. Very telling. So some glimmering, so some glimmers of softening and rate-sensitive sectors of the economy are now seeing an impact. The number of job openings and construction, and the construction sector, plunged
2: to the lowest since October 2020. You know, all of a sudden, these higher rates are making all of a sudden that commercial uh, project not as feasible, and you're seeing projects getting canceled because the cost right. of borrowing money is too high. Right. Exactly. So, any any other thoughts for our listeners? This is just. Something present I have a piece aside. next week, and I, I shared it internally uh, with the investment committee. I got a piece next week that has to do with um, jolts and the tracking of real-time data with Indeed.com, which is arguably one of the most popular job uh, mm. posting sites. And I'm going to be talking about that next week because it is starting. The real-time data on Indeed is starting to trend down on job openings, real-time data. That's interesting. So and so, why that's
1: important? Just to give some background to listeners is economic data is always on a bit of a lag.
2: Yes, it's not perfect. Yes, so you
1: know we're looking we're looking back a month.
2: Yes, um,
1: and so that's why the real time data when the market hears this this kind of thing we love that.
2: Yes, <laughs> real time data is hey that's the dream. So now uh, the w- last thing that comes to mind, Nick, is sometimes we have an environment where bad economic news is good for the market. Absolutely. So let's say for example that these job openings do start to come down over the next couple of months as the data lags. Normally that would be bad for the market. But the market is more concerned about the Fed. Right. and that helps what the Fed's trying to do. So you have these environments where it's so counter to what it normally would be. Bad but news like, is good news. We're in an environment where bad economic news is good news for the market. We are, which
1: is one of the reasons <laughs> I, I put this up is because, you know, the market is, is looking for that. The Fed is looking for that. They want to see some softening in the job market that has been so strong for so long. Um, well, maybe not for so long, but has been so strong in recent months. Yes. Um, in, the, in the past year, post-COVID. Um, so bad news is good news. Isn't that funny? It is. That's just how the market goes sometimes. So. Um, what, what do you have for for us this week? All right,
2: I got four pieces this week. We do not have a financial planning topic of the week, so we kind of juiced up our our kind of research content. Extra uh, research. Extra research. Uh, if I had it my way, I'd have like ten things. Okay, <laughs> I understand. I could do this for for much longer than forty minutes a week. So Jenna could right. put us on just live stream this bad boy for you know several hours. All right, like a Joe Rogan podcast, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So um, item number one is market sentiment. This is from one of my favorite raw research houses, Bespoke Investment Group. Uh, They need to start sponsoring me. Yeah. (laughs) So this is from March 2nd. Uh, The consistency of declines throughout, and I'm quoting now, I apologize, I'm quoting. Quote, the consistency of declines throughout February and to start the month of March, Nick, has sent sentiment decisively lower. The latest data from the American Association of Individual Investors, AAII, showed a 23.4% of respondents reported as bullish. That's up modestly from 21.6% last week, but still down significantly, Nick, from 34.1% two weeks ago. With less than a quarter of respondents reporting as bullish, bullish sentiment continues to sit firmly below its historical average of 37.5% for a record 67 straight weeks. Anybody listening and viewing this podcast, you can Google search American Association of Individual Investors, AAII, and you can obtain all their information public, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next, Jen's gonna put up this chart uh, for our YouTube viewers, for our traditional podcast listeners. This will be in our show notes and our various social media sites and uh, on all the various Just Up Wealth Management social media sites, whether it be LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, etc. cetera. And what you're going to see is the bullish sentiment from 2009 to present. Okay. In addition to the AAII survey, other weekly sentiment readings have likewise made a quick reversal back towards negative sentiment. Combining the readings of the AAII survey with the investors intelligence survey, as well as the NAAIM exposure index. And I've quoted both of those in the past on this podcast from now and then. Sentiment has gone from the most cheery outlook in over a year down to pessimism right in line with the rest of the past year. In fact, the, 1.3 point, the 1.36 decline we've seen in the high three weeks ago ranks as the seventh largest decline in such a short span of time since the composite began back in 2006. And now Jenna's going to put up the um, sentiment composite making this quick reversal, shows the current level versus the average, and it also shows the sentiment composite change for three weeks. I'm highlighting this, Nick, because when you see these very, very quick sentiment reversals and you look back in time when a three-week change was this negative, for me, tends to be a contrarian indicator. Mm -hmm. And so for our newer listeners, the definition of a contrarian indicator is, you know, people have thrown in the towel and statistically speaking, looking at history, it makes sense to take the other side of the coin. Doesn't always work that way. Okay. The disclaimer part doesn't always work that way. Of course. So what Bespoke did and the, the research house that they are, they took the raw research and they looked at these really large declines over a three-week period. And the last chart Jenna will put up for our YouTube viewers is the S&P 500, its performance looking forward after these large sentiment composite declines. Yeah. The data set will go back as far as 06. What do you think there is there, Nick? 12, 13 data pieces, maybe a little bit more? He's running the math right now, Jenna. The guy's a human calculator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's more than 15. 15-ish. Okay. So what you're going to see is six months out, the average return for the S&P looking forward, 6.7%. The median is seven, positive 72% of the time. One year later, average 9.8% return for the S&P, median 15.9, positive 63.6% of the time. And it's just interesting that you kind of look at this type of data and it has the, the performance for all periods since 2006, so you can overlay it. Um, you know, it tends to be a contrarian indicator in general. Mm-hmm. Does it work every time? You can look at this data set and see there obviously are instances where it does not work. Sure, two thousand and eight. I'm, okay. I'm throwing it out there yeah. that just to me, when I see these types of shifts, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Bullishness is very low, and that when you look in the bigger time frame of history, I would rather be on the bullish side of history with a long term time horizon than a bearish individual Mm -hmm. with a long-term time horizon. Absolutely. Well said. Very well
1: said. I'm going to correct my statement earlier. It's 13, not 15. 13. Sorry. I
2: love it. I love it. Sorry about that, listeners. That's my mistake. He has to be accurate. I love it. (laughs) So Next, I'm going to talk about gasoline prices, because this has to do with inflation, Nick, okay? Also from Bespoke on March 2nd, and I'm going to quote now. One area where the pattern has been opposite of the seasonal norms at this point in the year is gasoline prices. While national average prices as tracked by AAA typically only see marginal gains in the month of January, this year in January, prices surged 9%. And I'm emphasizing that because usually the financial news programs use surge for like mm. eh, a 1.5% or move. spiked. Yeah. They love- surge 9% accurately used. So I'm going to put some oomph behind it when I say it. That's fair. Okay. That's fair. Which ultimately translated to higher levels of inflation. In February though, Nick, we saw much of the increase in prices from January reverse itself and prices finished the month down more than 4% for the largest February decline since 2006. As a result of that pullback, the national average price, which was up way more than the normal year to date at the end of January is now actually up slightly less year-to-date this year than the average year in history. While gas prices were an accelerant in inflation in January, they're likely to be a damper on it in February. Jenna's going to put up this chart, going back the average price of gasoline in the various months as the year goes on back to 05, we're below the average pattern. Why does a pattern work this way? prices start to go up as they anticipate demand hitting and the summer driving travel season Mm -hmm. tends to peak and it peaks before the end of the summer and starts to kind of come back down and we rinse and repeat this cycle year after year. Right, Nick? Mm -hmm. And I'm throwing this out there from the inflation standpoint. We're going to get inflation data on March 14th. It's for February. Eh, wouldn't surprise me if that came in either right where people are expecting or maybe even a little light. I'd love for it to come in light. Smack these bears around on the market who are so pessimistic. Hmm. I love this chart. Poking the bear. I love... I love a
1: historical...
2: Yeah, average like that. That's a, that's a good chart. That's good, isn't it? I like it a lot. Now, see, this yeah. is another one. You show me a chart like this, I can tell you it's Bespoke did that chart. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Bespoke has a very specific. Distinct yeah, charting style. Distinct char- charting, yeah. It's, it's
2: the headers. It's the blue fade to green. Oh, yeah. Every time. Can, it's great. Yeah. All right. Item number three. This is, I think, going to be your favorite. Okay. Will high risk-free rates of return derail the stock market? That's the topic. Mm. Okay. Yeah. There was a blog post by Ben Carlson on February 28th, the title of this blog uh, is called A Wealth of Common Sense, and he had this post, and the post again was titled, Will will High Risk-Free Raiders Derail the Stock Market? I would encourage you, Ben Carlson, great uh, great blogger, encourage our listeners and viewers to check this out. Mm What Jenna's now going to put up on the uh, YouTube uh, is this chart, and it's going to be in our show notes. Highly recommend our podcast listeners view this. It shows the average yields in the decades beginning in 1940, 50, 60, 70, all the way to the 2010s. shows what the average 10-year yield was in that decade, Nick, the average three-month T-bill yield, and it shows you the stock market returns average in each of those decades. Now, here's the next piece. He then ran research about what is the US stock market average rates of return for the S&P 500 index going back to 1928 to 2021, with four different factors. How did the S&P average return when we had rising inflation nick how was it when we had falling inflation how was it when we were in a rising interest rate environment and lastly what was the returns for the market and a falling interest rate environment mm-hmm. and i think you're gonna love this data You're a data guy i do like the data a lot actually <laughs> okay so let's yeah. start with um rising interest rate environment and a falling interest rate environment. In my opinion, if I was going to pull, not just the public, people in the financial services industry, what they would say, in my opinion, is stocks do tremendously better in a falling Falling interest rate. rate environment than they do in a rising interest rate environment. Do you agree or disagree? I agree. I would have guessed that in a falling rate, it would be a little bit better. Okay, so in a rising interest rate environment, going back to 1928 for the S&P, annualized rates of return were positive 9.7% for rising interest rates, and for falling interest rates, 9.6%. Let's call it what it is. It was the same. <laughs> <laughs> so the narrative you hear of mm. stocks cannot do well in a rising interest rate environment, I just took a shotgun to your spreadsheet, yes. XYZ person, who was cherry-picking data sets, and I just blew it out of the water. Yes, yeah, completely false. All right. Rising inflation. Five I, I, before we jump into that,
1: I do want to say it kind of makes sense when you, when you step back, you look at the data, and you think about it holistically. Yes, it all averages out over time. Over time, it's going to average out. And also, there are positives to the rising rate environment. There means the economy is good, things are going well, corporate earnings are growing, and there are positives to a falling rate environment. Money's getting cheaper. That's right. So there, there are there are catalysts to buy in both up and down cycles. So it, it makes sense that you just try to sh- step back and think very simplistically about what the data is going to do on a historical average perspective.
2: Well said, Nick. And remember, as you have always point out too, the market is anticipatory. It's anticipating. Absolutely. So when you are in an interest rate environment that's going up, just as we're talking about peak rates and eventually them coming back down, mm-hmm. the market's anticipating that. Mm-hmm. Just like at some point when those rates are at a low point people will start to anticipate hey rates are going to move higher because the economy's doing good right, right? and they're going to start to sell yeah you go exactly. through the cycles yeah. so then on the flip side of it how does it do in rising inflation and falling inflation this is very stark and comes in as you would expect yeah in a rising inflationary environment going back to 1928 nick and this is through 2021 S and P 500 annualized rates of return only 5.5 percent in a rising inflationary environment, and in a falling inflationary environment positive positive 14.7 percent annualized. The data set, and this does come from Ben Ben Carlson's blog. In this specific thing of when I discussed it, was from NYU uh, was the was the source on this, and so. Uh, just to give everyone listening and, li- and viewing this podcast, we are currently in a falling inflationary environment. We currently are. And Absolutely. what Pal was talking about is just to, not that inflation wasn't coming in, just not coming in as quick right. as the market is wanting it to come in. Right.
1: It's not going to the
2: floor. And it's not going up. It's which just I not coming is, down as quick.
1: That, which I think is healthy.
2: Well, I and Mark would say that, too. I mean, you know, when you have these drastic moves, yeah. one or each way, they tend to be unsustainable.
1: Yeah. And, and when you look at history and recessions and inflation, a smoother increase and decrease is easier for the Fed to control with monetary and, and easier to control with fiscal policy as well. When you have these drastic movements, think about COVID, think about everything, I mean, it's just such a massive shift in... And everything from, from the economy, from the stock market, it's easier to, to price
2: in and to analyze slower, steadier movements. I think well it's, said. A, it's a positive. Well said. My last comment is just because you see this data does not necessarily you know, guarantee the market's going to be positive mm-hmm. in, an, in an environment where interest rates are falling, right? It's right. just we're giving you the raw data for history. That's all. It's historical
1: analysis, and it's, it's nice, clean data. They have a little a little tiny writing. It's just the S&P 500 returns and the 10-year treasury rates. So, I mean, it's pretty simple, pretty clean, easy. Yeah. We could, we could fact-check it pretty quickly here. Sure, sure. Um, the one thing I want to say is... Please. Ben, if you ever listen to this, I wish you would have added one more column on your average yield chart which shows us the average inflation. That would have been interesting to Ooh. see. I like you should that. Added that. I like that. We'll have, Jenna, looking, we'll have keep, Jenna
2: tag him. Yeah. Let's, tag, let's tag tag with ben. the um, the blog post he had ben. on that date and say you should update this and include average inflation. Yeah, it would be
1: interesting just to see that because that, my brain when I'm looking at and you know, okay, rising and falling, it's like I want to see what was the average inflation and the reason I th- see that is because the stock market returns in the 70s were noticeably were noticeably l- like lower and actually the lowest in this this decades data set, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Inflation was really high, but you know, what was the average inflation of the forties? I don't, I don't know that. I'm sorry, listeners. I don't know what the average inflation of the 1940s were. So,
2: so, uh, you know, I, I
1: just having I, that data. I saw from a me chart me of this. Helpful. It
2: was very choppy in the forties. You had year over year inflation. I saw a year over year chart, Nick mm-hmm. it popped, came right back down, popped again. Okay. It, inflation was very volatile. Um, as, as, as world war II was ending. Yeah, that would make sense. Stock market returns up 8.5 percent that. Yeah, decade. they're volatile in the 40s. I know that. Yeah. So anyway,
1: that would be interesting to see.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. My last piece is kind of an update from Argus. Okay. Now um, this is from uh, February 27th. This is uh, from their uh, director of research. And this will take me about two minutes. Quote: Fourth quarter earnings seasons more than 85 percent complete. Earnings season, which began with duds from Dow Components, Goldman Sachs, and Intel, is ending much as it started, with disquieting earnings and outlooks from Dow Jones, Industrial Average Stocks, Home Depot, and Walmart. Within a week or two, we will make final revisions for our 2022 estimate for S&P 500 earnings from continuing operations, and if necessary, to our 2023 and 2024 forecast. We are unlikely to make big cuts in last year's EPS. The likelihood I apologize, the high likelihood is that we will cut our 2022 continuing operations estimate by a dollar or two from currently sitting at $224 for the S&P 500 index. We still look for low single digit EPS growth in 23, followed by high single digit EPS growth in 2024. So any cuts in those forecasts would also likely just be a few dollars earnings at or near historical high levels, provide support for equities at an uncertain time. Mm -hmm. So this is my other, you know, I don't know how high on a mountain I can get with a bullhorn that's big enough, but earnings have not deteriorated over the past year in general, like stock prices. We gotta remember that. It's not to say they're not going to. We have a deeper recession, earnings will most likely come in. But the reason I point this out is, you look at historically really bad years, like 2022, you go back to 08, deterioration in corporate earnings. Okay, that makes sense. Stock got nailed, earnings are down. Just haven't seen it like that. And that's when he sits there and says, and I'll say it again, earnings are at near historically high levels provide support for equities in an uncertain time. Mm -hmm. Great point. Not to say they're not gonna deteriorate, not to say the people that sold stocks last year You know, we're right in that our earnings are going to get a lot worse. So far, just hasn't been the case in the data that I see. Yeah, so far we've pulled back a little bit, but it's not been deterioration uh, is is a gross overstatement from what we've seen to date. Good, Good way of saying it. Yeah. And then the conclusion he had in the research report, quote, the Fed wants inflation to come down, but it also wants to see some slack in the labor market and softening in economic data to confirm that inflation will stay down. The economy is not cooperating, which is raising fears the Fed will push rates higher for longer. Right now, the bond market appears to believe the Fed will implement two more quarter-of-a-point rate hikes at the March and May FOMC meetings, ending its rate hiking cycle at that point. You have new data based upon what the market's thinking now, because this is from roughly 10, 12 days ago. Mm -hmm. The economy is still refusing to cooperate. Bond investors may begin to anticipate additional hikes, which they're starting to, Nick, as you said. That will not sit well with the stock market unless investors truly have learned to live with higher rates. This is what I was arguing earlier. Mm -hmm. It's stuff starting to get priced in, in my opinion, because the way the market would normally act to that news is a lot more downside sell-off than what you saw this week. A lot more. A lot more. So that's my last piece. Um, Anything else you would like to add? Yeah, the the market would would typically have been a lot more
1: negative but go back to the junk bond chart we showed earlier. Good point, too. Nick.
2: Good Investors point.
1: learning to live with higher rates as as they say there and then the last the last thing I would emphasize for for listeners is low single digit eps growth on the average of the market is not terrible.
2: Right? It's not especially when you have earnings higher in 2022 than they were in 21 in general for the S&P. Right. They're most likely going to be higher here in 23 than they were in 22. And it's very early, but they're forecasting higher in 24 over 23. But right. wait a minute. Look at the average stock. Look at its 52 week high or its high over the past three years. Look mm-hmm. where it's at now. And then just sit there and think. Yeah. And
1: that's, you know, again, that's the mean earnings aren't going to come average. down, as I said, because it, it could. It's an average. So there's going to be pockets of more strength. Than low single-digit
2: growth. And yeah. there'll be pockets that are, are weaker that do deteriorate. But and, and, and I'll end on a sour note. I usually yeah. don't do this, but you know, if we do see some slack in the labor market, you could see consumer spending come in a little bit. That could affect some stocks in different areas where maybe the consumer pulls back. So not everything's rosy out there. Okay, and I want to paint that picture. Right. But you know, they're just I'm talking in very generalities. But yeah, general- that's something that it could very well happen. Slack in the labor market. Consumer gets a little more conservative, say spring and summer, mm-hmm. that could happen.
1: Yeah, that could happen. But again, you know, you know to end it on a
2: cheery note. Ah, <laughs> Nick's going to save us, Jenna.
1: <laughs> to end it on a cheery note, you know, that, that there's going to be pockets that are, that are weak. There's going to be pockets that are strong. I, I, I truly believe that in um, and, and this type of market, like you said. The, the general picture, um, that
2: a low, low single-digit growth. Is very feasible. Yes. I think it could be more than that. Well, the way well the way the market acted in twenty two, you would think that earnings were off twenty be plus percent down, yeah, five yeah. percent on average,
1: which we've we've seen a pullback in growth numbers, but nothing like that. Yeah.
2: Well said. Um, we have no listener questions this week, uh, so we'll sign off. Thank you for listening to episode number one ninety one of the Independent Advisors Podcast. Nick and I appreciate you listening, and we'll be back next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealth.com. At wealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.